0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM.
1: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Your Money on Business Radio.
0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to Your Money, SiriusXM, 132 Business Radio. That's powered by the Wharton School. I'm Kent Smathers, professor here in Philadelphia, but joining you again... By Zoom until we can do live shows. Uh, But until then, you can connect with me on my website, Kenton Money. Dot com. And again, if you're looking for a fee-only advisor that I like, I have a growing uh, list of advisors there. Again, kentonmoney.com So housing prices, as you know, are increasing at a breakneck uh, pace. I mean, just uh, really the fastest pace since the peak of the pre-financial cri- crisis housing boom. And it's fueled by shortfalls in supply and record low mortgage rates and uh, but really, how long could this last before there's a crash, or is the market overheated and? Well, what does this mean for you if you're thinking about buying or selling your home right now? So, Professor Sam uh, Shadden is the Larry and Clara Silverstein Chair and Academic Dean at the NYU SPS uh, Shack Institute. He's also the founder of uh, Shadden Economics, an economist laureate at the Real Estate Lenders Association, a Forbes contributor, and the host of the Urban Land Lab podcast. Again, the Urban Lab podcast. And you may have actually remembered him as one of the hosts on the business radios, the Real Estate Hour, which still airs in special segments on this channel. Sam, welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you so much. Delighted to be here.
0: Yeah, and my producer here, uh, Patty Hall, mentions on our own neighborhood, uh, houses are being snapped up just after a few days on the market. Um, you know, have we seen anything like this before or when was the last time?
1: I think that the last time we saw the market this active, uh, both in terms of uh, the velocity of sales uh, and the price momentum, was really at the peak of the housing boom uh, prior to the financial crisis. And obviously, any comparisons to uh, the kind of momentum that we saw leading up to the financial crisis raise concerns amongst academics, policymakers, uh, and are indicative of uh, or reflect the the real challenges that, that buyers have in the market, as you described. In, in Patty's neighborhood, you know, homes selling—you know—perhaps you know within a day or, or a few days of of being listed, offers coming in very quickly. Importantly, it's not just that an offer is coming in; it's that we're seeing a significant number of offers, a significant share of all of the homes that are transacting in the market today are selling at uh, above uh, their asking price. Now, it's not yet a majority, but in terms of directionality, we see that share of the market that uh, again is. With offers coming in above asking price increasing fairly quickly. Um, all of those are characteristic of the market. Uh, Kent, the one thing I'd mention is that there is some geographic variation. There are markets in the south uh, of the United States in the Sun Belt uh, that are exhibiting stronger momentum than we see in parts of the Northeast or Midwest. But even within markets, uh, what we see is that uh, very often there is stronger momentum in the relatively more suburban areas and transit-oriented communities uh, than we see in the downtown core
0: yeah and is that simply because people are fleeing the city because of the pandemic or what's going on there
1: yeah, on the demand side of the equation, there's two things uh, that are going on. Principally, one, of course, is the pandemic. As people have been, you know, uh, you know, a, more than a year now, you know, stuck in their apartments uh, with uh, access to a more limited set of amenities. All of the things that make downtown living exciting, uh, all of those experience have, experiences have been in more limited supply. Uh, I think you know, folks have started to think about well, maybe now's the right time to uh, plan for more space and uh, to take advantage of historically the historically low mortgage rates uh, that you mentioned. That being said, uh, there is a, another longer-term trend at work, which is the aging of the millennial demographic. Mm-hmm. So uh, whereas you know, in the early years of the recovery from the financial crisis, you know, millennials might have been in their early to mid-20s, uh, they placed tremendous value on uh, you know the experiential elements element of downtown living. Uh, what we find now is that you know that certainly the you know the oldest uh millennials are uh, having families, albeit much later than previous generations, um, they're thinking about you know a, a different set of amenities uh, that they val- now value. Uh, some of which is you know space at home. Uh, some of which is access to a good quality public school that, in many urban areas, uh, you, in a suburban setting, you're going to have better access to. So right. it, it's a convergence of a number of things, not just a, a response to the pandemic. Although the pandemic has can motivated. A potential shift in the way that people think about their relationship to their workplace that will facilitate uh, more suburban homeownership.
0: Yeah. So, I, potentially more flexibility by employers, even post pandemic, given the lessons they've learned uh, about working remotely and so forth. Yeah. Some of that could last for a long time. And we've been on the demographic side, even seeing people. Uh, this big reversal of, of people retiring into cities because of the amenities, uh, like you said, kind of often counterintuitive. Uh, and, and so, let's before talking about uh, back to um, some of the mentality that a virus has been having and, and so forth, it's been kind of crazy. Uh, we know during a, a subprime uh, crisis in, in particular, two thousand five to two thousand seven, eight, and things blowing up. Then, a lot of loans were these, you know, uh, subprime love, alternative A, arm loans, sometimes called liar loans, in case of alternative A, um, in particular. Uh, Lots of, uh, you know, issues there on on the creative financing side is we don't see that same type of degree today behind the current rush, right?
1: Yeah, no, we don't, and I think it's an important point because you know there there, you know we we do see a great deal more structure uh, and uh, to support the standards of lending in the mortgage market in the post housing boom bust and financial crisis period, and so although price momentum is there. Um, you know, the we've not seen a deterioration in mortgage standards in a way that yes. you know uh, uh, lends itself to comparison with uh, with the financial crisis. Uh, that is a distinction. We do have historically low mortgage rates, but to your point, Kent, not everyone is actually able to get a mortgage.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and you've you've noted that buyers seem to have adopted this auction mentality. You know, explain that.
1: Yeah, I, I think what we see is that, uh, and this is a point of concern, in, in many markets, when a home in a suburban area in particular becomes available for sale, uh, we don't see just one or two buyers, uh, we see a number of prospective buyers show up, uh, many of them will be unconstrained by the need for a mortgage or associated contingencies, uh, and there there is a bit of a bidding process uh, that goes on, so it's not a formal auction, but certainly, uh, you know, the, 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 the you could characterize it in an informal sense as, uh, you know, as an auction mechanism at work. And we see that really bidding up prices. Uh, the most observable uh, data point that we're going to have to capture the extent of that uh, auction-like uh, behavior or mentality on the part of buyers is going to be the share of the homes that are actually selling above their asking price. And as I mentioned, you know, that is a share that has been increasing uh, over the course of the last several months.
0: And you say economists are also being should be worried about this trend. I mean, is this just a winner's curse thing of the, you know, may, maybe you bid too high and you kind of regret that later? You know, what, what's the concern? You know, if we often think auctions are very efficient and <laughs> sure. nonetheless, what's the what you, you still uh, argue that there's a concern here?
1: Yeah, I think we do need to be concerned about a couple of things. One is that uh, there will be segments of the market where people may overreach um, and may rely on uh, personal financial resources that are unrelated to the debt market. You can imagine sort Mm -hmm. of the mortgage market acting as a sort of constraint on people's behaviors. So if there's any tendency whatsoever for us to become uh, overly exuberant in our pursuit of uh, a home- Uh, you know the mortgage market and the limits of what the lender can do act as a sort of headwind to our getting too carried away. Um, you may have folks that you know, reach a, a little bit too far or a little bit too aggressively unconstrained by. Uh, you know, the the, the need to you know, meet the demands of mortgage underwriting standards. So we do want to be careful of that. The other thing that I think we want to be cautious of is that as prices go up because of these dynamics, and there is an important supply side uh, issue to this as well, um, you know, home prices overall are, are going up for that family that is thinking about becoming a uh, becoming homeowners for the first time uh, or that may be income constrained and is reaching for homeownership because the rental market uh has proven itself to uh, n- not be any more forgiving in terms of the demands on uh the, uh the the family budget um you know the the tendency to overreach and, and the number of folks that are ultimately going to get locked out of that market uh because they don't have the financial means you know those are very significant features of the market right now as well
0: yeah so it, a lot of people are sense, you think about selling their home to take advantage of these rising rates. Uh, you say that maybe there's some reasons not to sell at this point. What would those be?
1: Well, I think everyone wants to be thinking carefully about their next step. So if you were to sell your home today, um, you know what, what are you going to be doing next? If your plan is to buy another home, um, appreciate that uh, you're also going to be then on the buying side of a very hot market um and so you know that is uh, that, that's a note of, of caution also yeah. keep in mind that you know it's it is not a frictionless market there are transaction costs associated with buying and selling and in real estate particularly in some places uh, sometimes depending on where you are geographically those transaction costs can can be high uh, the other is that if you're thinking of renting you know we do see that you know, for many reasons renting the flexibility that it offers uh you know that may be a more appropriate Uh, a trivial option for a lot of people than than home ownership. Uh, But uh, we have also seen that you know, desirable rentals, the rates, uh, you know, the, the, the rental rates in many markets around the country have been increasing faster over the last more than a decade now uh, than people's incomes have been growing. Um, so those are, you know, the, the rental market, again, can be a, a demanding one um, in terms of those increases. Uh, folks want to think about sort of what their next step is, what their real motivation is uh, for wanting to, uh, to sell. Uh, we do see in, in some cases that folks are able to move against the market. And so, if your family is at a particular point, or you're a particular uh, place in your household's life cycle, that you want to move downtown uh, for yeah. whatever reason, um, you know, selling a, I sub- i certainly have some colleagues, and there's some anecdotal evidence of folks selling a suburban home, uh, doing very well in that sale, and buying an apartment uh, or whether it's a condo or a co-op uh, in Manhattan, a market that is lagging. Uh, in, the, in sort of that, that price momentum. Many urban cores in major cities around the United States, sort of uh, at least for a time, you know, we're seeing uh, uh, their, their condo and, and co-op prices decrease or, or, or fall as uh, we observed some uh, element of migration out of the urban core. Um, if your family is at a point where moving downtown is uh, actually right in line with sort of your, your, your lifestyle preferences, uh, that's an example of, of a, a play in the market. Uh, that might work very well uh, for the kind of living situation that you want.
0: Yeah. And we, we certainly know the restrictions and supply, you know, construction not being one of the essential business, uh, businesses in many locations. I mean, it is playing a big role here and, you know, supply has been restricted for uh, a bit here. What do, what do you see happening there? Uh, is construction going to be Picking up quite a bit over the next uh, uh, year, and what you're seeing happening to to prices
1: on the single-family home size. Kent, we, we we're watching uh, permitting activity very closely because uh, the permits are going to be a leading indicator of, of the kinds of completions that we'll see, you know, whether it be six or twelve months down the road. Um, and uh, permitting activity has been picking up throughout uh, the pandemic. Um, it is rising to levels that um, are uh, slowly approaching uh, what we. Saw uh, during the the housing boom, obviously, we have a much larger population, or I'd say a larger population now, um, and a larger number of households. The constraints that we've got, and part of the reason why not all of those permits will actually translate into homes, is that uh, we do have some constraints. We have constraints on the availability of labor, um, and this is skilled labor in the construction trades. And this has been an issue for us in real estate for more than a decade now. There just isn't enough skilled labor um, in in this segment of the market. Lumber um, is another one uh, where um, you know, the availability and price of lumber, much of which comes from Canada uh, for, for stick-built uh, single-family homes, uh, lumber prices have increased dramatically. Uh, the availability of land, uh, the investment, and, and part of the constraint on the availability of land is public investment in infrastructure to get you to the land, uh, whether it be roads, fire stations, schools, uh, you know, light rail, uh, you know, that mon- you know the, the public purse is not well positioned right now. Um, so there, there's also issues around zoning, uh, which uh, come into play. So uh, all of those are acting as supply constraints. Overall, I think what we see is that supply constraints will ease somewhat over the next year. Some of the immediacy of that pressure to, you know, sort of move to a more suburban location will abate as, you know, a larger number of companies this fall, uh, you know, everything, we're all keeping our fingers crossed as we find ourselves in a more normal place, a larger number of companies will start bringing employees back to work. Some companies will say, you have complete location independence. Others will say, we really want to see you in the office four to five days a week. Um, And, as the reality of that sets in, some folks will uh, hesitate or, or, or reconsider uh, whether or not it makes sense to you know, move further away from uh, from their place of work. Um, and there's a lot of variation there depending on the city you're in and, and how easily or painfully uh, the, the commute uh, to work can be made. So overall, some of that demand pressure um, moderating, um, some of the supply pressure moderating, Still some significant uh, momentum and upward pressure on prices in the real estate market. This isn't getting a lot easier. The one policy thing, Kent, that I have to mention I'm concerned about, sure. I totally understand at the federal level our desire to ensure that every American family has the opportunity to own their home. Um, so, given how high prices are, you know, there have been some, some policy proposals discussed that would reduce uh, the required down payment. To qualify for uh, a mortgage with one of the agencies, and yeah. that's happening sort of in in the political realm. Uh, we know that when family in a in a hot market where folks are paying a lot of money for their homes, um, and where they're making very very limited down payments, that is that does look like a deterioration in underwriting standards, right. and that you know that, so that has some of the characteristics of a market that a few years down the road may exhibit higher delinquency and default rates. So I think. We want to be very, very careful there. The one other thing I'll mention, Ken, is that much of uh, the, a significant minority of the single-family homes uh, being built today are not intended for ownership, as we have seen historically. You know, there's a, a growing minority that uh, are intended for rental. And so these are referred to as single-family homes for rent, or SFR, um, in the language of real estate. And for many people where what they're really looking for is the space. Uh, you know the, the location, uh, the outdoor space, other amenities that a transit-oriented community or suburban community might provide, but for whom home ownership itself is either not desirable uh, as a financial arrangement or, or is out of reach, uh, single-family rentership uh, provides many of the same amenities and benefits, uh, albeit not the uh, opportunity uh, to, to, to build equity in the way that ownership does.
0: Yeah, it is it, it, you know, amazing how much government policy has played in uh, housing uh, price bubbles. Whether it's the you know securitization that was certainly encouraged by the government agencies, as well as you know, uh, like you said, you know, reducing down payment uh, requirements and. It's, uh, you know, it can happen other civil ways on the supply side if, you know, many workers aren't willing to come back to work because of uh, they're doing well by not working uh, right now, they're maybe too well, in the sense of, you know, it's very hard to often get people back. That's just because of vaccine hesitancy or uh, virus hesitancy, but just because of the economics. So it's uh, it will be interesting to see how this all evolves over the next year. And you're right, policy is going to play certainly a role, including on infrastructure side as well. So, uh, fantastic insights, Sam. Uh, Thanks so much for coming back on the
1: show. Thank you so much, Kent. It's always a pleasure.
0: Thanks so much, Sam. You can follow Professor Sam Shadden on Twitter uh, with uh, the handle at Sam Shadden and check out his personal website, samshadden.com. And that's Shadden spelled with a C-H-C-H-A-N-D-A-N. CH, uh, And um, can't suppose you listen to your money, Business Radio Series XM132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.